Mark chapter 1, beginning verse 21. And they went into Capernaum, and straightway on the Sabbath day he entered into the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his doctrine, for he had taught them as one that had authority, and not as the scribes. And there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Hold thy peace, and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had torn him and cried with a loud voice, he came out of him. And they were all amazed, insomuch that they questioned among themselves, saying, What thing is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority commandeth he even the unclean spirits, and they do obey him. And immediately his fame spread about around the, throughout all the region round about Galilee. Will you bow your heads now for a quick moment of prayer? Father God, once again, we, we want to praise you. We want to acknowledge you. Uh, this is your day. We are your people through grace, and this is your word. And so we ask that you would add your blessing to this day, to this service, and to the reading of your word. In Jesus' holy name, amen. So, I want to speak this morning, with the Lord's help, about true authority. Uh, humans in general, but in my experience, especially Baptist people, like to talk about authority. Now, perhaps outside of Baptistism in America, we like to talk about authority, and mostly we like to talk about who doesn't have it over us. Right? That's our big uh, thing, I guess. Uh, our nation was born out of a rebellion, albeit uh, we would say a good one and a right one, and that rebellious spirit has continued on, perhaps especially here in the southeast. And so we like to talk about who doesn't have authority over us, who can't tell us what to do because it's our life, right? Well, as we discussed last week, if you're a child of God, it's not your life. So we can't take up with that spirit. We can't uh, continue on with those mantras. We can't continue in that vein of thinking. But what about uh, church people? What about uh, authority that do we speak? Perhaps it's not as rebellious as that, but we like to talk about church authority. Uh, preachers, mostly, mostly not preachers, don't like to talk about it, but preachers like to talk about pastoral authority, right? Notice who likes to talk about that. Uh, church members often like to talk about church authority or kingdom authority, but sadly, most of the time, uh, when people speak the loudest on these issues of authority, it's because it silences an argument that they don't want to deal with. Now, we don't need to talk like that. We don't need to fall victim to those uh, traps that are around us. We don't need to fall into those uh, spirits, and with God's help uh, and our asking Him to help us, we won't. But what we do need and what will be of great help to us is if we recognize what true authority the Bible does speak of. There is an authority. There's an authority of God. There's an authority of His Word. There's an authority of His leading Spirit. And yes, He does extend authority, church authority, kingdom authority to His people. And there is a right way to talk about pastoral authority. But all these things must be held under the umbrella, if you will, under the Lordship of Jesus Christ because He is, capital T, the authority. And if we look at anything outside of that, then we've missed the point 
altogether. So I want to look at this passage and actually uh, probably two others. And uh, with God's help, hopefully this will seem like one uh, stream of thought, one message rather than three uh, short ones put together. At least for your sake, you hope they're short ones put together. But we'll ask God to help us and we'll uh, work through these things. The first thing, let's look at uh, this encounter, this, uh, this, this happening, this scene that we read about from the chapter 1 of Mark. Um, it's not one that we probably talk a lot about. We don't talk about uh, the casting out of demons very much in these uh, times, in these days. We don't talk about the realities of the evil and the demonic forces that do exist in this world. Uh, one of the great lies, I think, of uh, modern Western culture, however you might say that, is to uh, cause us uh, to believe that all these things are just fairy tales, if God's people can be convinced that true evil doesn't really exist in this world, well, that's half the battle right there for the, uh, for the opposition. If we can be convinced and sort of duped and, 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 and go to sleep, as it were, to not pay attention to the realities of demonic forces and influences in our culture and in our life, uh, then, then they've got half the battle won. It's so much easier to slip in under that cloak of, of, of uh, fairy taleism, or however you want to term it. But the truth of the matter is, uh, as we read through the Bible, uh, there are realities, there are uh, devils, there are demons, and there are the casting out of those. Now, in a moment, I'm going to balance this so that we don't start seeing a, a demon in every shadow. But let's first just uh, pause for a moment and sort of uh, acknowledge the fact that these are realities and there is nothing, child of God, within the pages of Scripture to say that that's just the way it used to be. It's not the way it is. There's nothing there to that effect. These realities exist even today. And as I've had some conversations with some of our uh, missionary brethren in, uh, the com- uh, in Africa, for instance, uh, they're very plain if you get them to talking about it. They say, oh yeah, people back home, for them, not for us, people back home know this is real. He said it's a strange thing. Uh, many of them talk about how the Americans pay no attention. This is real. These forces are out there and, and we need to be prepared for them. We need to recognize that they are real. Paul taught us in Ephesians chapter 6, he says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood Our enemies are not other people, not ultimately so at least. When we talk about spiritual warfare, we are wrestling uh, under the banner of Christ in the army of the Lord. We are fighting against the devil and his minions. And that's, that's a reality. We look around our world and we sometimes say, well, I just don't understand how this or that thing could happen. Terrible stories, uh, cruelties. That, that go beyond our imagination. Hopefully they go beyond our imagination. God help us that we would never uh, become uh, so that it would not be. Well, don't ever say we don't know why or how these things can happen because the answer is here on the pages of the Bible. The devil is real. Demons are real. And they are in a real uh, fight and warfare against the influence of the Christian church, against the message of the gospel. And that manifests in horrific ways. Now, now that we have hopefully uh, sufficiently uh, acknowledged the realities, let me balance that. 
Um, what we don't need to do is go around naming demons in people. And what we don't need to do is go to the extreme such that we think ourselves uh, to be uh, exorcists or this and that. That is not given to us. And we'll, we'll read about in a few moments some people who did. But we need to recognize the realities. We need to recognize that this that took place in Mark chapter 1 is in our world today. And we need to be prayerful about our loved ones who are unsaved, who are most susceptible to these things. We need to be prayerful that that influence doesn't come over us, that we don't buy into the lies of the adversary. But we need to be prayerful for those who are unsaved, lest they fall victim to direct demonic attack. These things are real. But let me say a few other things about this. One of the interesting things about this encounter uh, in the first chapter of Mark here is that uh, Jesus was there in a synagogue uh, teaching and there were all these uh, Jews round about him who had been brought up and taught the word of the Lord, yet they did not recognize him, or at least in the majority, as the Messiah. But we see that the demons did. That's an interesting thing. I believe the Holy Spirit kept this for us and Mark included this here to show this contrast between who was seeing what was real and who was not seeing what was real. Jesus was there fulfilling the prophecies about himself from the beginning, doing the miracles, living out everything that was given to him, everything that was talked about from Isaiah and from Jeremiah, all those things. He kept fulfilling every time one of the things came up. He filled it exactly the way the Old Testament prophets had laid it down. He came from the right place. He came from the right lineage. He did all the things the prophets said that he was going to do, and yet still... So many people did not believe, could not fathom uh, that he was uh, truly the Son of God, that he was truly the Messiah, yet these demons did. Now, think about that for a moment and recognize the darkness that is upon mankind. Recognize the veil that is upon us because of our fallen depravity and recognize what we are up against. Our enemies are not flesh and blood. Our enemies are dark forces, and our enemies uh, in cause are the blindness that exists over our loved ones who are lost. That's why it's not just a matter of coming up with a compelling argument or clever words. When we talk about issues of faith, when we talk about issues of being saved and being lost, all of humanity is shrouded in this darkness and we must pray God send His power and His Spirit to pierce through that darkness to open their eyes. How many of you have ever heard people talk about, well, if I would have been around in the time of Jesus, if I would have seen the miracles He did, if I would have heard the words out of His mouth, well, I would have believed, well, here they were. Here they were, hearing teaching from the very lips of Christ. And they did not believe. What a sad, sad state of affairs. What a, what a uh, awakening we must have to see what is truly going on. But Jesus there, he spoke as one having authority. He did not uh, anchor his teaching only in the traditions of the previous uh, teachers. He did not anchor his uh, teachings in the other rabbis. He did not anchor his traditions uh, under the fam uh, favorite commentary of those who were around about him, as we are sometimes prone to do. Jesus spoke as one who has authority because he is the only one who could speak so. When Jesus spoke, he was speaking the word of God because he is and was God. 
That was the amazing thing. When we read through here and we see how that they marveled at Jesus' teaching because he was one as of authority. It wasn't uh, just that uh, the men of their age were timid. It was the fact that Jesus could say for himself because he was God. Jesus is the one whom God has entrusted and, 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 and given the office to be the holy and the righteous judge of all things. That's never been given to anyone else. But note also here, Jesus, if we think about his other times with the apostles, the, the things that they saw, they saw him calm the seas and they said, what manner of man is this? That even the winds and the waves obey his will. Jesus had all authority over all of the created universe because he is creator. And here we see, underlining and affirming and right out in the open, declaring the lordship and the authority of Jesus Christ, he had uh, power over the unclean spirits, over the demons. As they began to speak, and what did Jesus say? Hold thy peace and come out of him. It shocked them that Jesus had this authority. Now again, I, I want to underline the reality of the demonic forces in our lives, but I want to balance that and say it is not written for us to go around speaking to people and saying you have a demon, hold thy peace coming out of him. It's not given to us. We do read about how uh, some of the apostles were given great power. Read about the 70 when they came back and they were so amazed at Jesus. They said, Jesus, even the unclean spirits uh, have, uh, or, or we are put in authority over them. They must listen to us. And Jesus corrected them and said, don't glory in that. That's, that's not the biggest thing. Be thankful that your name is written in the book of life. That's where our focus ought to be. God will empower as He sees fit through the ages and in our uh, respective lives and circumstances. But the thing that we should remain focused on is not that God let us do this great thing. The great thing we should be focused on is the God of this universe who in no way should have because we had nothing owing, nothing we could give to Him. Yet He came and died for us that we may be saved. Another thing I want to balance that out with before we, uh, so that we don't get, uh, take out of control. If you were to turn, we won't read it all, but in Acts chapter 19, it says there were some Jewish exorcists who undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits. If you're not familiar with this little encounter, I happen to think it's one of the funniest things in the Bible. I know I'm not probably supposed to say that. I'm supposed to be more uh, strict and straight. But it is quite funny from a certain stance. And there were these uh, men and they said, uh, we've seen Jesus and we've seen the apostles casting out devils in the name of the Lord Jesus. Therefore, we'll do the same. And they thought they could just do that. And in verse 14, Acts 19, verse 14, there were seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva. They were doing this. Uh, but they met one evil spirit who answered back and said, Jesus, I know. Paul, I know. But who are you? Now again, maybe I'm wrong for it, but I just think that's one of the funniest things in the Bible. It's sad because it highlights the way that we do. We think because we're attached to a thing, because maybe you've been brought up under the right family name or brought up under the right lineage of churches, well now you're something. My friends, take a moment and think about this because it's kind of the situation we're in. If we were to put on those airs and we say, you know, my father was so-and-so and I was baptized by this preacher who was baptized by this preacher, so I must be something. You know what the demonic forces who are real say to us? They say, Jesus I know. Paul, I know, but who are you? 
Now you'll notice if you continue reading there uh, that the spirit or the man in whom the spirit was, he leapt upon them. It says he overpowered them and uh, gave them a good flogging such that they uh, ran out wounded and naked. Because of that uh, event, a fear came around upon all the people. But it wasn't a fear of the demons. It wasn't a fear of the unclean spirits. It was a fear of misusing the holy name of Jesus. I said this morning is about the true authority. We must focus, we must understand that all authority that's given to us in any way stems from Jesus. If we are stepping outside the Lordship of Jesus Christ, not only do we not have that protection that I spoke about in previous weeks, we are on our own and we're claiming an authority that we don't have. And we just might hear, figuratively speaking, Jesus I know, Paul I know, but who, pray tell, are you? Child of God, let's not do that. Let's not go there. Let's recognize that the true authority in this life uh, is Jesus Christ. Now, I invite you to turn your Bibles back to the Old Testament, to the book of Deuteronomy in chapter 18. Deuteronomy, the second telling of the law, Moses uh, teaching once again and rehearsing uh, the commandments of God. Moses, who was uh, the, the mediator, if you will, of the first covenant, who was a type and a shadow of Jesus who was to come. Moses was viewed as a high authority figure. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15, uh, Moses, uh, among other things, prophesies about the coming of Jesus. The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me. Unto him ye shall hearken. Alright, so Moses says there's coming one. God is going to raise up one. It will be God's one, his chosen one, and unto him you should hearken, or unto him uh, you should listen. And I uh, sent out a a tweet, I think, earlier this week and said you can pair that with the fulfillment in the New Testament and remember the Mount of Transfiguration. Recall there that uh, Jesus was there and a voice out of heaven came and said, This is my chosen one, listen to him. So, among other things... Moses was prophesying about the coming of Jesus. But notice his talk about authority. All right? In verse 18, God said that he would put his words into the mouth of the prophet, his prophets, and he shall speak them unto all that I command him. Verse 19, and it shall come to pass that whosoever will not hearken unto my words, which he shall speak in my name, I will require of him. What's Moses saying? That's sort of uh, confusing language there to some extent. What is Moses saying? Moses says, God is going to reveal up a prophet. And he will speak in my stead. So if you don't obey the words of that prophet, God says uh, in the King James, I'll require it of you. In other words, we're held responsible for when we do not obey the authority of God's prophet. Now this is a type and a figure, this is speaking ultimately about Jesus, but it's a type and a figure about prophets or God's uh, teachers and preachers all throughout history. I said we'd speak just a moment today about uh, a so-called pastoral authority. Well, here it is. And this is the part we don't like to hear. We like to hear about how Jesus has authority over all the evils and the evil powers in our life and how he can cast them out and, and, and he is in complete control. We like that about Jesus. We like that authority. What we don't always like 
is what Moses talked about here. You see, uh, whether we're talking about Moses, whether we're talking about one of the uh, prophets, uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, whomever from the Old Testament, whether we're talking about a teacher or a preacher or a pastor in the New Testament church, the thing is that the authority that they have comes from the word that they speak. In other words, Moses said here, God will put his uh, words into the mouth of the prophet and he'll hold you, the people, us, responsible for not uh, obeying those words. So there, my friends is pastoral authority. What you should never do, whether it be myself or any other preacher or Sunday school teacher, whoever is teaching the lesson, what we should never do is say by virtue of the office that they hold or by virtue of their great reputation, then we'll just take everything they say as gospel truth. No, no, no. But, my friends, be careful because if they teach and preach the word of God, Oh, if I would have been in the Old Testament, if I would have been at the Mount of Transfiguration, if I would have heard the audible voice from God. Friends, we do hear the voice of God every time someone declares the truth contained in the Bible. Not because of my office, not because I am infallible, not because of any of those things, but when I teach and preach the Word of God, just like if it was any other man who is standing in uh, to fulfill this office behind this, as we call it, the sacred desk, when they teach and preach the Word of God, it is authoritative, and we all must take note. Moses said in verse 19, God said through Moses, if we don't hearken unto the words, God's words through the prophets, God will require it of us. So you know the best way to listen to a sermon or a lesson? Very best way. Uh, Some people would say uh, with an open mind. There's some merit to that depending on exactly what you mean by open mind. Uh, But as I hear somebody, uh, a guy I like to listen to say often, he says, don't come to me with an open mind. He says, come with an open Bible. See the difference? The world is full of churches and of people who proclaim to be representing the name of Jesus. Now you read uh, entirety of what Moses talks here uh, through this chapter and he talks about how that the false prophet, how we uh, have no uh, compulsion to listen to them and how that can be tested, my friends. But the authority is here. Now we have the Holy Spirit to help us, to give us discernment, Here's the objective authority. I don't care what the name is on the sign. I don't care how they dress. If we listen to their message and it squares with right here, we're accountable. Because the authority, church family, is in the word. God said, uh, who shall ever not hearken to the words which I speak in my name, I will require it of him. Well, Well, that's the flip side of that, and then we'll sort of get off of this. What's the danger uh, of the one who would allow other influences and, and who would step outside of what the teaching of the word of God is? The very next verse. Verse 20. But the prophet which shall presume to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded it to him to speak, or that shall speak in the name of other gods, even that prophet shall die. 
So these are two very serious warnings for us, church family. Number one, let us always hold to the authority of Jesus Christ and that it is uh, given to us through the written word. Whoever teaches and preaches these truths is speaking authoritatively from God. But any time, whether it be I or you or anyone, steps outside of that, it's dangerous ground. Well, you say, oh, that's just the Old Testament. God doesn't kill people anymore. Friends, don't stake your life on that. We read in the New Testament of how God took people's lives. And I uh, certainly uh, cannot say with clarity about what God was doing, but I know of instances in my lives where we can see people and individuals who uh, opposed uh, with regularity, with stubbornness, with pride, with whatever, opposed the people of God and calamity fell about them and it ought to serve as a warning to us. We're talking this morning about the true authority. My friends, the true authority in this world is Jesus. The true authority that's given is through His Word. And we must uh, attain to it. We must listen to it. We must hearken to it. But we also must take great care not to step outside of it. Which leads us to our third uh, passage of Scripture. Back to the New Testament. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Paul speaking uh, in the opening of this uh, of this chapter. First Corinthians chapter 8, by the way, marries very well, parallels, if you will, uh, to Romans chapter 14, addressing very similar issues. The, the specific instance that Paul was writing to in First Corinthians chapter 8 was uh, food offered to idols. Now, that's sort of an anachronism that we don't stumble across often today, not in specific, but there are uh, truths here, there are doctrines, there are precepts that we need to uh, grab hold of. All right. So he's talking about food offering to idols, but the truth is it's not about food and it's not about uh, idols because we see in verse 4, as concerning therefore the eating of those things which are offered and sacrificed to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is none other God but one. So it's not, uh, it's not that there are other real gods that they could follow after. There is no other God. There's only one God. Uh, but also we find that it's not really the food in and of itself. Verse 8, But meat, meat commendeth us not to God, for neither if we eat are we the better, neither if we eat not are we the worse. Right, So Paul's writing about food offered to idols, but it's not really about the food, it's not really about the idol, because as he would say in Romans chapter 14, the kingdom of God is not of meats and drinks. He says here, if we eat, we're not better. If we don't eat, we're not better. It's not really about idols, about uh, allowing yourself to something real, because there are no real gods. Right? What was the issue here? And it's very much uh, connected to what we talked about last week. The issue is that there were Christians here who were claiming freedom and liberty in Christ and throwing a stumbling block before their brothers and sisters of weaker uh, faith or weaker testimony, as, as he would call them there. He says uh, there in verse 12, So you sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Wherefore, if meat make my brother to offend, I will eat no flesh, whether the world standeth, lest I make my brother uh, to offend. So what does this have to do with the other? How is this tied together? If, if you have just a bit more patience, we'll, we'll put it together. The point that Paul is making here 
And, and, and just as we left off at the end of the last segment when Moses was writing about a false prophet, the, the one who would speak in the Lord's name, but it wasn't really God's word, or he would speak something else, what great danger that is. The problem in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, the problem in Romans chapter 14, I encourage you to go and read that as well. It marries with this beautifully. The, the problem is we need to remember that we are not the authority. You see how that works? We hear the word of God, we read the word of God, and it is uh, authoritative over our life. We are uh, held by it, we are bound by it, and we must bow the knee to the lordship of Jesus Christ. We must uh, trust in the gospel, we must conform our lives to what God has taught us, but we must stop abruptly where God has not spoken because we're not the authority. We don't have the right to offend our brothers and sisters and cause them to stumble in the faith because of our own preferences or because they don't understand each other. That shows a lack of love for our brother and sister in Christ. And we don't have the right to uh, enforce our own opinions or our druthers. The truth is that each one of us walk around with an interior list and on that list are uh, at least two categories. Sins that are damnable and shameful and disgusting to us. And sins that are eh, not so bad. Now guess how many of our lists line up exactly with each other's. They don't. The bigger problem, guess how many of those lists match what God has taught. Well, the fact that we have those categories means it doesn't match up with what God has told us. So what's the underlying issue? It's not meat. It's not drink. Paul says here, he, he, he does not eat meat. If that, if that was what was going to keep people from coming to Christ, I'll just be a vegetarian. Them's fighting words in a Baptist church. <laughs> he says the same thing over in Romans 14. The problem's love, a lack of it. The problem is a, a, a promoting of self to think that we are the authority. And so if I think this is especially awful, then that must be. Well, did God say that? Is that the ordering that God gave? Is that the priority that God has sent down through His Word and through His Spirit to you? Or is that just yours and my preferences and druthers and prejudices? Now, this is a great wide topic, and I know I've been going really fast and way too many scriptures to focus on on a Sunday morning, and I apologize. But I, in reading these and studying these passages of scripture, I came up with five statements, and I, I recorded them that I may read so I, I could get it clear. So if you let me read these, I think you'll see the, the, the one thought running through it all. Number one. Let us always proclaim loudly and clearly that Jesus is Lord. Let us never shrink back from naming the sovereign authority of God in the person of Jesus and in the collected body of his written word as the highest rightful authority over every aspect of creation. Number two. 
Let us rejoice in the comfort that our Savior Jesus has ultimate and final authority and power over the demonic forces in this world. We must thank God for that because, friends, uh, as the old uh, song says, we'd be like a ship without a sail. We would be tossed to and fro were it not for the Lordship of Jesus and His control and authority over the demonic forces in this life. Let's rejoice in that. Number three, let us remember that we are a purchased people, that our lives belong to Him so that we might conform our thoughts, choices, and actions to the teachings of God's Word. Number four, let us never usurp for ourselves the place of judge over others outside of that guidance and teaching that we have been given explicitly in the Bible, that we may deal lovingly and graciously with all around us, especially brothers and sisters in Christ. And most importantly, perhaps number five, let us never forget that the price paid for being the divine authority was the lifeblood of Jesus as he hung on Calvary's cross. We were purchased at a great price. He alone purchased our forgiveness, our loyalty, and our discipleship. We talk a lot about authority in this life. But we need to be reminded who is the authority. And if we have any, and we do as a church, we have kingdom authority. And that authority is to live by and teach and hold to the truths in God's word. Let us do that and go forward boldly, but with love. That's why the Bible says, speak the truth, speak it in love. May we always bow our knee to the Lordship of Jesus. Would you bow your heads with me just a moment? Father God, this morning, uh, let us thank you for all that you have. And God, one of the most perhaps unappreciated provisions you've given us is your word, your boundaries, and your lordship. Oh God, keep us humble and submissive as a people. Give us wisdom and discernment and help us to lovingly proclaim the lordship of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Brother Danny, let us have a song. Let us each stand and sing praises uh, to our great and risen Lord and Savior, Jesus. Page number seven. Number seven. <clears throat>